Happy St. Joseph's Day. Yay, St. Joseph, he's the best. Because he's Italian, right? He is Italian. Yes, he is. <laughs> Along with um, Mary and Jesus, all good Italians. Good Italians, you know, jo- Giuseppe. San Giuseppe Day, right? You know? Uh, and yes. it's, a, it's a solemnity, right? It is, and I have been enjoying myself on this solemnity. He says as he drinks water. Well, I just got done drinking. What did I, what did I have for lunch? Uh, don't tell the guys at the Spicy Nugs podcast this, but I went to McDonald's <gasps> and got a shamrock shake, and it was delicious. Nice. I actually haven't even eaten lunch yet today, but I just haven't had time yet. Uh, I am drinking a Slurpee. No, you're not. Because mm-hmm. you don't actually have those in Canada, I'm pretty yes, sure. Yes, we do. Did you know I... Winnipeg is uh, the highest selling Slurpees per capita in all the world? No, I did not know that. I did yes. not know. And it's one, of the, it's one of the coldest places in Canada. Why are you guys all so weird? <laughs> Slurpees are good regardless of the weather. So anyways, I gave up, you know, sugar drinks like going out for food eating sugary drinks and stuff like that for lunch so i am enjoying a slurpee right now and it's fantastic it's giving me some caffeine after a three-hour drive back from victoria i went to play i went down to visit some friends uh a friend was putting on a poker game uh last night and i won 65 bucks oh geez what whoa 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 what high stakes poker game for a priest to be in i am scandalized father harrison there was eight of us gambling there was With eight Canadian of us. Canadian money, yikes. Well, exactly. If it's not real money, then it's not gambling, right? Oh, right. So that basically means you won like... Nothing. 34 American cents. Cent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was like a $10 buy-in type of thing, right? So just about having fun with guys. And it was oh, really yeah, nice. Yeah. It was really good to see some friends and everything. So uh, yeah, so I just came back from there. And so I'm drinking a Slurpee to kind of wake myself up for the podcast. And uh, But yeah, it's great that, you know, solemnities in the church are a great thing, especially during Lent. Because you really get to celebrate them. Like, they're a real celebration because all those things you gave up, you really shouldn't worry about them today. Yeah. Now, yeah, man. For those who are listening today, it's a Friday by the time you're listening, so it's too late. Oh, right, right, right. So if you're listening to this, but we're you're being pre- super penitential. Right. But when the Annunciation hits next Monday, all right. then you can also imbibe in your pre-Lenten joys so Absolutely. yeah so it's a it's a great that's uh, that's one of the things i love about the church especially in her penitential seasons these festivities really become festivities mm-hmm. they become a, a little break a little oasis in the desert and a time to just enjoy those good joyful things to then redouble down on your efforts the next day and uh, the church just really gets that and so i'm looking forward to saying mass for saint joseph tonight yeah uh i really i worked hard to invite all the parishioners i said you know it's not a holy day of obligation but he's not just the patron of the universal church he's also the patron of canada what yes did you have you ever heard about saint joseph's oratory in montreal I have never heard of this. Oh, you haven't? No. St. Andre Bessette, he started, he, he was um, Holy Cross brother, mm-hmm. wasn't smart enough to become a priest, I guess. So he was. He always just had the minor order of porter. And he was known for having great healing miracles. Um, over 30,000 people, I think, showed up to his funeral when he died. Oh. Yeah. And uh, he started this oratory and it started as, a, he said to St. Joseph, you have to build a house for yourself. So he put... <laughs> He put a statue of St. Joseph outside, and then slowly money came in to build a little church. 
Then they built a bigger church. Now they have this massive, huge basilica in Montreal that people from all around the world go to. And it's really cool. So, uh, because, and the reason he did this is because St. Joseph is the patron of Canada. So, Canada has Italian roots, really. Oh, I dislike Canada a little bit less now. (laughs) So, I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And welcome to Clerically Speaking. Man, Father Harrison. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just complaining before we started recording about how freaking tired I am. Uh, uh-huh. I'm trying to yell to wake myself up. Yep. So I think there's a few things going on why I'm so freaking tired. I think, one, to be uh, an adult person in 2019, I think you're legally required to be tired. I don't think I um, am the only person like this. But here, the thing is, in my new assignment, which is going very well, before, I was working with one priest, and he kind of did everything, mm-hmm. and so there was like just less for me to do. Right. Now, our assignment is so crazy, even though we have four priests, like you have to do stuff. Yeah. Which is good. It's actually been really good to like be super involved with things going on. I've really enjoyed being like a part of a team and helping out. It's been great. But it's also like there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that, so I think mm. I'm just all wound up all the time. Like, I was in my office two days ago just doing paperwork and feeling like i was gonna have a heart attack just because paperwork gives me such anxiety so i think that's what it is i'm just hmm. freaking out all the time <laughs> <sighs> what kind of responsibilities do you have that would freak that would bring anxiety just oh got a few annulment things i'm working on mm-hmm. and that those are i mean even though they're not that people can make those high pressure sort of situations yeah um Working on a baccalaureate celebration for some of our high schoolers, doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then just, you know, trying to be holy and stuff, too. It's, yeah. it's stressing me out, man. I, th- I find that maybe one of the areas that lacks in seminary formation is how to deal with, how to organize your life as a priest. How do, how to, how do you deal with the paperwork? How, like, how do you build the habits mm-hmm. that will get you to do those daily tasks that are necessary and good? So you don't freak out because I think part of the reason we get anxious or overwhelmed by it or whatever, I don't get anxious. I just feel overwhelmed. I just want to kind of walk away and go do something mm-hmm. else. Right. Yeah. Um, but I find that maybe like if seminary could help us to I, help build some habits with that because seminary, I don't know what your experience was at seminary, but my, mm-hmm. I found at seminary a lot of times we would often leave our papers to the last minute, for example. Right. And I don't know if that was that the case at your seminary. Well, you know, I'm thinking as you're saying seminary should help us work on paperwork, organizational skills. But at the same time, uh, like theological college, Catholic university was so overwhelmingly, crushingly academic that it should have made me better at paperwork and stuff. But then I'm just realizing, no, I was just anxious that entire time as well. Hmm. So I think this is just more like a me problem because there were guys who were organized on top of things and there were guys like me who were not. But now it's like... It's not just going to affect me. Right. If I like screw stuff up, it's going to affect people's like, lives. other real people. Yeah, exactly. And that freaks me the but heck that's the out. Thing, but that's the thing. Formation should help us to understand that and to see that. That the reason you want to start working on your papers ahead of time is not, yeah, do it. It's an inconvenience to you. Absolutely. But the reason is it's going to help you train to have the habits so that when uh, marriage paperwork comes your way, Mm-hmm. You you need to start working on that now because it's going to affect people's lives, and it's just we, we, 
it's like a lacuna I find in seminary that they just tend to forget about this because I, I I go through some it's of the a, similar it's struggles. A what in seminary? Lacuna, something that's missing. You just use that word like it's no big deal. Yeah, you're a jerk. What? <laughs> what? No, a lot of people agreed with me right there. You can keep going. <sighs> Whatever. Whatever. I'm sorry, I'm cranky. I'm gonna be cranky all episode. Oh, great! Until this is the, be fun. the espresso kicks in. Kicks in. Then I'll but, just be louder and cranky. Go ahead. Some, sorry. The, I'm just trying to say that something was missing in that regard. How to yeah, how to no, prepare no, no, no. So, how yeah. to prepare habits to understand what what is the tasks and what are the things that are going to come your way daily in a parish and how mm-hmm. to build the habits necessary to handle that. Seminary isn't actually about the priesthood, though. Okay. I don't know what it's about, but I've been thinking about this more and more. And I want to talk about this next week, I think, is probably what I'm talking about. But let's get into a little bit now. Just because I don't... It's just... I think seminary is too... Is modeled after regular Western academic formation. Okay. Like, it's just school. At least in my experience. Like, that was what more right. or less was. Like, it was school with... Oh, by the way, we go to Mass here, and here's some extra talks and here's optional holy hour times and stuff like that. And not that I like the formators were good at mm-hmm. emphasizing things for me. So you had priests who you're meeting with every week and they were good, but the, the, the structure itself was still this kind of Western modern get good grades mm-hmm. and fall in line kind of stuff. Not this is vocational training, um, right. for the priesthood. Right. Um, and that's why I'm like learning it more and more. Even uh, like I'm finally starting to settle down and get comfortable in my priesthood, and it's the first time I'm like trying to figure out what this actually means and what and, I'm actually doing. And and one of the, I don't know about you, but one I was actually reflecting on this the other day. I was like, it's one of the scary things, especially I, once you start to get comfortable in your priesthood and you start to become aware of your weaknesses, especially. Oof. You start to realize, wait, maybe I'm not the rock star I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is a good yeah. thing. It's a very good thing, and, and I think a lot of priests go through that mentality. They think I'm going to be this great priest. I'm going to have all this. People like me. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then you come up against people, and you start to realize, wait, my weaknesses here hurt other people's lives, and and so on and so forth. And you're like, wait, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Yeah, and that's no, a good I totally- thing. I totally freaked out on a bunch of parishioners at, in the middle of mass yes, uh, last Sunday. Mm-hmm. So um, it was one of those masses where just things were starting to just unravel a little bit. Yeah. Um, during the the bell ringing, uh, during the consecration, I hear the sound of a bell fall off the handle, so it, like clunks to the ground, and starts rolling. Yeah. And it's happening behind me to the right. I'm like, ah, oh, bummer. Mm-hmm. Then I see an altar server kind of walk into the sacristy, and I assume this altar server probably just went to put the broken bell piece away. And then I see an usher with someone who is obviously a mom walking to the sacristy. It's like, oh no, something happened. Maybe that altar server passed out and the bell fell off and everything. So I'm worried about this. During the Lamb of God, I go in the back. Sure enough, the altar server had passed out. She's oh. okay. Everything's good. Also, I think like if you altar serve in the Catholic Church, you're probably going to pass out at one point in time. Because these poor kids like don't eat breakfast, and then like the lights are really hot, and they all pass out. Anyway, I'm just kind of rattled by everything, and I go back to the altar expecting the Eucharistic ministers to have everything set up, right? Mm-hmm. And then I see that they haven't brought out all the saboria, all the containers um, of our Eucharistic Lord, 
And there's also an odd number of Eucharistic ministers there. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, one of us is missing. And we had just changed how we distribute things. And they're talking to me and I can't hear them. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to pass out like chalices to them and they're not taking them. I'm like, just take them. And then they're looking at me like, what do we do? And I said, I'm going to begin distributing communion, figure it out. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now, and no one knows that everything went wrong. Right. But like, I realized I was very short with them and <clears throat> was not helpful and was not a leader at all. I just right. was getting ticked off. I'm like, I'm going to begin distributing communion, communion, be adults, figure it out. And so afterwards, go to the back. People are, you know, uh, cleaning the chalices and all that jazz. I said, sorry for being short. I was really flustered by everything going on and blah, blah. I apologized. Mm -hmm. And you could tell, like, some of them were still, like, not ready to not be angry at me. Mm -hmm. But um, stuff like that. Stuff like that is just going to happen. I'm trying to become more and more comfortable with that. Like, I'm going to screw up. At least I can apologize and try not to screw up so much in the future. So one question. Yeah. You're giving me a hard time about saying lacuna. Mm-hmm. Yet you use the proper pl- Latin plural for saboria. Yeah. That's equally arrogant. No, it is totally not. Yes, it is. <laughs> no. Yes, it is. No, now, you want to know You want to know who used Latin very well? Yes. St. Thomas Aquinas. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about the Yes. Ah, maha. All right. So uh, the Summa Tweetologica, or oh my gosh, I just pulled a Father Anthony again. It's going to become a, fa- if you keep a Father doing Harrison. This, I'm going to start getting crankier <laughs> with you every time you make. The sometimes Summa you make mistakes too, Father Harrison, like a regular okay, person. Making fine. a mistake is not unique to something that Father Anthony does, Father Harrison. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> he, the caffeine has obviously not kicked in yet. <laughs> the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas's summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up, from at Dave Ramsey. If you do rich, rich people stuff, eventually you will be rich. If you do poor people stuff, you will eventually be poor. Okay. I so, don't, I don't, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. I got, I, I, I was engaging with this tweet and I got a lot of flack from people for it. Yeah. Because this, this tweet is, it's actually the perfect tweet in a sense that it is perfectly designed to make people yell on the internet. And there's kind of something beautiful about that. Right. But the thing is people were yelling at me for going after this tweet. Okay. Yeah. Now, Why'd you go after this tweet, Father Harrison? Well, I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Now, okay. a lot of people were going there, and we're going. I think we'll gauge this with the next tweet, but uh, a bit too. Mm-hmm. People were going after me, saying, "Don't, don't be so hard on Dave Ramsey. He does a lot of good." Well, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going after him. I, I'm engaging with the content that he's tweeted. 
Mm-hmm. I'm engaging with the ideas. A person is not their ideas. And if I have a criticism of an idea, I'm not saying that's a bad, they're, they're a bad person or anything. I'm just saying yeah. I don't agree with what they're saying here. And here's why. Mm-hmm. So people, please chill. <laughs> wait, wait, this is good though, because I think people are so lacking in their understanding of who they are as a person that they attach their identity to a thousand different things. Mm-hmm. One of the things people really attach their identity to are their opinions. I am yes. what my opinion is. Exactly. And that makes it incredibly difficult to discuss ideas and to communicate with someone mm-hmm. because we're all being super sensitive about things that we need to talk about and even argue about. Right. So I had never heard of Dave Ramsey before in my life. Have you ever heard of him before? I do not know who this person is. He's a big financial guru who helps people <sighs> get a hold of their um, financial, get kind of get a hold of their financial bearings, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. You know, these are all good things. And I'm not saying he hasn't helped people. But here's why I have a problem with this tweet. Whether you like it or not, it's looking at the poor as if they're second-class people. Mm, yeah. And it's also, while I, I don't know what his religious background is or whatever, it's very Pelagian. <laughs> it is. It and is, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it betrays mm-hmm. um, a lack of understanding of the poor. Mm-hmm. I've worked with the poorest of the poor. Right. They will try to do rich people stuff, and they'll still be poor. Mm-hmm. Not because of there's like this. It's just like this American uh, can-do attitude. If if I just will things enough, I can be the richest person I want. And yeah. I find this very very frustrating because it's not true. When you deal with the poor, the really really poor, yeah. who because there are social conditions and stuff like that, they probably because there's addictions and stuff like that, they probably will never ever be able to get out of the condition they're in. So it's our job to serve them and to help them with this. And and I find that what it's saying here, it's like, well, then they're obviously not trying hard enough. Cause then do what it, it says. It's like, well, why are all these, are, there's all these poor people. Why don't they just go get a job? Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what it's saying. And I, and everyone's saying like you know I had a lot of people like who didn't like the fact that I engaged with this but I'm sorry this is a very bad take yeah now I think there's something like can our attitudes can what we do affect our monetary outcome I think there's something to that sure yeah sure but I think people on both sides kind of refuse to acknowledge the complexity yeah. of these issues and then it becomes very difficult I get very disappointed in a lot of Christians um where um, there was a gentleman like the, uh, I was speaking to years ago, who I really respect, who was saying, you know, Jesus says take care of the poor, but the poor today aren't like the poor back then. Right. And it's like, so we really don't have to care about these kind of poor. And I was right. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus I was not it. qualifying what kind of poor people we need to, yeah. like, you know, there can be, um, you know, a, a poverty in in a, a lot of different aspects in the person's uh, life, those systematic things that people struggle with. I don't want to get too much into it um, yeah. just because I, I don't want to deal with this. But yeah, um, so it's yeah. more complex than this. It's more it, complex. And just like, yeah. and then remember folks, when someone is engaging with a tweet, I'm not saying they're a bad person. I'm saying I don't agree with what they've said. I'm engaging with the idea. Yeah. 
Not with, I'm not saying the person in and of themselves is a horrible person. Twitter, I was listening to Catching Foxes on the drive back. I know, I know. Um, but, <laughs> uh, and they were talking about this, how Twitter tends to be a place of just like emotivism and very, and, and lacks a lot of reflection. Yeah. And I think they have a point there. And I, and that was my experience that people were like, well, no, like, and a lot of it came out of the fact that Dave Ramsey helped a lot of the people who were responding with me. And I'm not saying he hasn't helped you. I'm just saying this tweet folks is not a good tweet. Yeah. That's well, it. Speaking of that, speaking of that, um, we were talking about Patrick Coffin, the other podcast. Mm-hmm. And so people, once again, were kind of getting upset that we were dunking on Patrick Coffin and, well, we weren't uh, dunking, and we weren't dunking on him. No, 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 no. We weren't. It was just, we didn't care for the tweet and you know, yeah, we discuss things vigorously yeah. like we normally do. But anyway, Patrick Coffin jumps in into the tweet game and just says that he was agreeing with you. And he tweets this. Well, agree. Exactly. No, he was agreeing with Gomer. Oh, right. Gomer. Michael, Gor- Michael Gormley. Gormley from the other podcast. Yeah. What is this? Catching from? Foxes. Catching Foxes. Who listens yeah. to that? Yeah. Okay. Um. Sorry. Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, Patrick Coffin says basically the same idea. We're discussing the same things. Yeah. Um, like, it's okay to discuss ideas. Uh, and Patrick Coffin jumps in and says, agree 100%. Grow a skin layer, people. I'm lucky because all my opinions are correct, so we're good. And so, you know what? I really like this. I really like this response because he was just kind of like acknowledging that we disagree. He yeah. kind of like tongue-in-cheek said, yeah. I still think I'm right. Yeah. But like that's good. Like yeah. oh look at it. look we're Catholics disagreeing and we don't hate each other exactly. and we're not demonizing each other. And I was like oh look at that. Look how easy that is. But I have um, a question because you're also yeah. apparently always right. Yeah. So what happens if he's always right and you're always right? But you guys don't <laughs> well, agree on something. <laughs> you're, you're, this is this is you're, you misunderstand. Patrick Coffin isn't actually always right. Oh, okay. Like I'm letting him have this because like just so like we've made peace. But like come on, Harrison, we know who's actually always right. Jesus. Oh, oh you're such a joker. Jesus is. Jesus right, right, right. Yeah, and he speaks directly to me all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm always right. There we go. So that, yeah, was, just, that was just nice to see. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like you can, disagree. We need more healthy avenues of disagreement. But to understand that disagreement doesn't mean hatred, doesn't mean vitriol. Because I, and I think again, it's maybe the cultural political climate we're in. Disagreement has to equate to hatred, right? But that's not the case. A good reason discussion is always going to be in a uh, in a passionate yes. Mm-hmm. A passionate uh, disagreement and discussion and engagement. And maybe you'll bring the person to your side or not, and that's fine. But it's okay to disagree and still love the person, right? Yes. Right. Yay. Cool. All right, let's do something a little more fun. Okay. A little more fun. At Tea with Tolkien. It's been a while. So it's been a while. Uh, drove past a church called The Fellowship, Two Rivers. And I have so many ideas for them. And one of her one of her is one of her ideas is if their Easter service isn't called Return of the King, then I don't even know. <laughs> this is very on brand, obviously. Obviously, because for those not in the know, um, Tea with Tolkien, Caitlin, um, she's written uh, like a work along book for Lord of the Rings. She tweets about Lord of the Rings stuff. She has a podcast about Lord of the Rings. She's very very much uh, involved in all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah. So yes, that was that was fun. Um, so something about this tweet reminded me of mm-hmm. the church name generator account yeah, on yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Because I think if you I mean I'm biased obviously. I think Catholics get everything right more or less. Right. Um 
just like if you're not gonna name your church after a saint you end up doing like these really goofy things like it almost sounds like you're trying to compensate for your church yeah. like first amazing bible church of america in the united states ever and it's yeah. like what are you there's like literally a thousand named this way i just find a lot of protestant churches their names be a little bit silly now now sometimes that can happen with catholic churches too when we mm-hmm. deviate from naming something after a saint or after um you know a mystery of our yeah. faith do you have another tweet i do <laughs> this is from oh my goodness uh at ghostly underscore and way and we and we yes uh <laughs> This person was tweeting at us, at Clerical Pod, last night at Mass, Lecter, who was supposed to read the first reading, accidentally read the second reading. After responsorial psalm, Father had us all stand for the gospel, so there was no first reading at Mass last night. Thoughts, question mark? Opinions, question mark? Huh. And I think, yeah, because I think every priest has had this happen, where you're just, you're sitting there in your presider's chair, being all comfy, listening to the readings, and then... You're listening to the person say something, and you're like, oh, no. And then what do you do? So, Father Harrison, what would have you done? What would you I have would, done in this situation? Because I've never actually had that happen. Really? Yeah. But oh. I would have gotten up quietly, walked over, just said, it's this reading. So, I'll just say, please start from here, and just get them to start again. Yeah. So, do you interrupt them in the middle of their, their reading? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think that's probably the best course of action too. Yeah, now, because every, here's yeah. the thing: all the all the people with the missalettes and the pews are also confused. Right. So let's <laughs> just make funny? everyone's let's just make everyone's life easier and just stop the madness as quickly <laughs> as we can. You know, this is this situation has happened to me like several times. And it's funny to talk oh. about people with the, their missalettes and the pews, and like <laughs> they try to voice their concern by flipping, by flipping back the and pages. forth. Yes, exactly. Very loudly. You know like, something's wrong when the missalette <laughs> pages keep on getting flipped. <laughs> it's just this like they don't want to say anything but they're like father I can't father it's I think there's something wrong father and they like look at you <laughs> and I just think because really, they want people they want interrupt anything because it's mass so I yeah. get it so I think that is the right thing to do though I'm pretty sure there's been at least one time there was one time where it was a daily mass yeah and to be honest I had the gospel in my brain, but I had totally forgotten what the first reading was because I was just going right. to preach on the gospel, wasn't yep. thinking, was tired in the morning. And the person definitely read the totally wrong reading. People looked confused. I didn't realize what was going on until I got up there, saw the person read the wrong first reading, and I just flipped to the correct gospel and just like kept going. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's fine. Yeah, so yeah. it's a thing that happens. Yeah, it happens. All right, let's do uh, Patreon pontifications. Patreon pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the missionaries of charity. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. And this week's tweet comes from at MLE underscore Allen. And she chose a tweet from at real underscore Lady Kong. And she says this, one of the most penitential things of all time is praying a rosary aloud with other Catholics who are all speaking at different paces and volumes. Ooh. So Father Harrison, I have strong opinions about public rosaries. Yeah. In the history of my devotional career, sometimes I've been very 
uh, devoted to the rosary. Sometimes I haven't. I think as long as you're praying and you have a devotion to Mary, right. it's okay. I think it's an okay thing to happen. That that devotions ebb and flow mm-hmm. with what you need at the time. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need at a certain time in your life. But I have really always disliked public rosaries because just because I get easily irritated at exactly what this tweet is talking about. Like I Hail <laughs> Mary full of grace. Or they go at Catholic speed, which is Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed are thou among women, blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, pray for sinners now at the hour of death. Amen. And you're like, what are we what are we even doing? What's going on? <laughs> or pray like they... for us sinners. <laughs> now <sighs> and at the hour of our death. And then people will like passive aggressively <laughs> fight with each other, like yes. through decades. Like you get a slow person for one decade, and then a fast person on the next decade, and yeah. everyone's like choosing sides and like, what are you gonna do? This or someone th- who thinks that their intonation and the way that they pray the Hail Mary is the most interesting way ever. Like yeah. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with, with thee. thee. It's like, what are you doing? Just pray. And it's all becomes yeah. so. But but here's here's my rule with all this, right? Okay. okay. Prayer is a conversation. Mm-hmm. So speak at a regular conversational speed. Mm. And I think one way to help set paces is, especially if it's like a, a, a led public devotion, maybe with the priest president or something like that, you have one person who sets the, the pace. Mm-hmm. like, And he does the, the Hail Mary part. Like, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And then everyone comes in for the second part, right? Yeah. But that sets the right tone of pace. And if people are, are deciding to be jerks and go behind it and faster than <laughs> that, well, they're jerks because they're not being in communion with their brothers and sisters. I always find having one person really lead things helps set a good tone and, uh, and pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But, but it's, it's, oh, it happens all the time. Oh, right, yeah. It but happens all the time. There's something also kind of good about that, that messiness, because... Communal prayer is always going to be sacrificial. So like a, a communal rose, rosary becomes like quasi-liturgical. Like it's not a liturgy, but it becomes quasi-liturgical, like almost liturgical. Right. And in any kind of liturgy, you sacrifice some of your own personal devotion for the sake of right. the body of Christ praying together. And sometimes the body of Christ is a big mess. So something yep. about that is good. That being said, I nothing makes me more sad then when you're on a bus, either going to the March for Life or going to a pilgrimage, and someone's like, we should pray a bus rosary. I'm like, no, those are miserable and not prayerful at all. Now, mm-hmm. anyone who, who who's listening to saying, Father, you don't like the rosary? I love the rosary, and praying as a community is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I personally do not care for it. It is not, it's not one of my devotions. Right. That's her. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you at MLE underscore Allen for being a Patreon supporter. And, you know, we were... Uh, we, we, we know how this podcast works. We, though, can mm-hmm. guarantee that there will be different paces and different volumes during <laughs> this week's presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. So two weeks ago, uh, we were doing, we were, uh, two weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago, anyways, uh, we were talking about Mary and the church a bit. And I thought, 
uh, actually, uh, your employee, Patrick, uh, texted me when I said, oh, I should do a podcast on, on Mary and the church. Yeah. On Ratzinger's view of Mary and the church. Mm-hmm. He's like, stick it into my veins. Please do that. So <laughs> thankfully. This one's for you, Catholic Pat. Exactly. Pittsburgh's there you go, okayest Catholic. youth minister. There's exactly. your shout outs. There's your shout outs. So. That will be deducted from your pay. Exactly. Because he was probably doing it during, he was probably texting me while he was working. So you have to make sure you take it up away. Like Shame. I never Shame. tweet when I'm working, so. But you're always working because you're always a priest. Mm-hmm. My life is a life of sacrifice. Exactly. So I wanted to just talk today a little bit about uh, Ratzinger's view of Mary, but in relationship to the church a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to be said about all of this, but I want to, uh, there's a real connection between Mary and the church. Um, when you study, So I want to give a little history, as I often do, yeah, around do. this. And back in the early church, the idea, I mean, you see it in scripture, right? Uh you see uh, Mary as, or you see the church as bride. Like you see a lot of the feminine characteristics of the church. Bride, um, the new, Jer- well, okay, new Jerusalem, that's different. But um, uh, but she's all, the church is, all, uh, the image of the church in uh, Revelation 12 with the woman clothed with the sun, uh, very Marian, but also very ecclesial. And mm-hmm. that actually rooted in the life of the church very quickly and very early on, this idea that Mary and the church are intimately connected with each other. You can't have Mary without the church. You can't have the church without Mary. Yes. And when you read the church fathers, this is in spades in all of them, okay? Yeah. It's just it's coming out left, right, and center in them. Mary is the concrete form of the church. And that really kind of can, and it, it continues on until about the high Middle Ages. But then something happens with the systematization of theology that happened in, in a medieval theology that uh, Mary becomes distinguished from the church or just, uh, to the point where they're talked about separately. And the intimate communion between them doesn't really uh, get played out in, in late scholastic theology. I'm not talking about high medieval scholastic, like, like Thomas and stuff. I'm talking about like later scholastic, like 14th, 15th century. Mm-hmm. And the division between Mary and the church starts to get stronger and stronger. But this is the thing. The, the devotions to Mary were always centered around the church. Like the, we, the reason we were devoted to Mary was because it was devoted also to the life of the church and to see that in Mary we see the perfection of what the church is. Yeah. And that's why we were devoted to her. It wasn't just devoted to her qua her or to her on her own, but rather it was devoted to her who was the perfection of what the church was look, does to look like. Mm. When that got separated, devotions to Mary stayed, but they were disconnected from the life of the church, of what the church was called to be. And when that happens, uh, the there, there did grow to be a bit of excesses to, in our Marian devotion. Um, not saying Marian devotion bad, but I'm just saying like these there was there's these real excesses that really um, twisted our view of Mary. I'm trying to remember some of the. I'm trying to remember some of the examples. They're not because I don't have them in my notes here. Um, But I, oh my gosh, I know I'm going to be hated for this one. Do it, 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 go, 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 go. I think there are some excesses in true devotion to Mary. Yeah, let's go there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really do. But because it sees Mary not as 
in her legitimate role and connected with the church. Okay. I'm, and I, okay. People wonder why I had to say it, but that, this isn't really my focus. I'm just trying to give a history. Right oh, now. you I'm sorry. Bomb I, and keep I gotta moving. drop the bomb. I gotta, dude. We only have so much time. You gotta go hear Father confessions. Harrison, I wore devotional chains that I had. I had taken pliers and 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 put them on my wrist so I could not remove them for five years. And right. you're gonna drop the bomb and say, "Eh, that was too much." Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, oh, it, we're gonna have to get into that. We're gonna have to get I into that later. We can get in. We can do that. Yeah, we can get into that later or something like that. I just, I'm just trying to give a history right now. Um, okay. <laughs> just, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm gonna get added so much on this one. I know. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, that's okay. I need. I uh, listen. I didn't prepare that part much, so I just need to think. Through. <laughs> I, I, there are reasons. I'm just not coming to mind right now, folks. So I'm real just, excited. I'm sorry. Go just, ahead. Just trust going. me, okay? Okay. Uh, we'll we'll do a follow up maybe on the next podcast <laughs> when I have some more time to think about that question. Anyways. But then uh, patristic studies really took off in the early 20th century in the church, in theology. And uh, they were discovering this connection between Mary and the church. And it kind of got um, solidified and, 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 and perfected. Where, did that, where, where do you see that connection between Mary and the church kind of reestablished in a definitive way? Do you know? Oh, in uh, Vatican II, in uh, Gaudium et Spes. No. No? That was the first document thing that came up into my brain. Um, what's the one where, what's the one on the church? Lumen Gentium. That's what I meant. Yeah, just say on the church. That's fine. On the church. I should have, yeah, but I was trying to like, Cause you I hate, know Latin. You heard, yeah. Well, yeah, you know Saboria. I know. <laughs> and I chanted the Latin mass parts like by myself because no one knew them today, but I was like, it's St. Joseph's go. Feast Day. I'm going to do it. So nice. I was thinking I was all fancy. Nice. But yes, so anyways, on the church. Right. And so I, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, how, uh, there were debates in the council about where they would put the document on Mary. And where it finally got solidified was in the document on the church. And when you read that document, at that last chapter on Mary, you see this reconnection between Mary and the church. Because the church is the body of Christ, which gives, and Mary's the mother, this is why Mary's mother, mother of the church, because she gives, really, she gives the body of the church its flesh in mm-hmm. Jesus, right? Like, there's all these really intimate connections between Christ and Mary and the church. And the problem was, is that the church got removed from it for so long. And we're just trying to reintegrate the ecclesial element into our Marian devotion. So that saint, it's more generic, saintly devotion doesn't seem see uh, the saints as detached, as atomized, but rather as part of the whole communion of the church. Uh, yeah. So that's where we are today. So I want to talk a little bit about what uh, Cardinal Ratzinger has written on this subject, because he has a really beautiful way of presenting the church and Mary together. Uh, any questions or comments so far? I kind of monologued there, so I want to... I that mean, was a very, that was a very, I, I, very yes, brief history. Yes. So, so, so it's a good thumbnail sketch, and the only questions I would have are are ones I already brought up with enthusiasm. So let's just get into what Ratzinger says about all Mary right. and the Church, because we can all agree on that, Father Harrison. We can all okay. agree on Ratzinger. So, uh, Ratzinger says there's three essential traits of the Church, and he talks. He does this a lot, actually, in his areas. Um, he talks about obviously the Church is a hierarchical communion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just a communion, but it's a hierarchical communion, that there is uh, a hierarchy that is there to govern and and the church, right? Mm-hmm. So the three traits of that communion are this, the teaching of the apostles, mm-hmm. the sacraments, and the succession of the apostles. You need those three things to have a church. 
he talks about this actually in Dominus Jesus a lot, that a church, quad church, a church in its nature has to be apostolic and sacramental. Without those those two essential things, you don't have. And he, and he talks about two in Dominus Jesus, how the church of Christ subsists in the Catholic church. That's a little ecclesiology. But I want to read to you a quote from Pope, well, then Cardinal Ratzinger, now Pope Benedict. It's a little long, but just uh, bear with me. In my opinion, the connection between the mystery of Christ and the mystery of, Mar- of Mary suggested to us by today's readings, he's uh, doing is from a homily, is very important in our age of activism, in which the Western mentality has evolved to the extreme. For in today's intellectual climate, only the masculine principle counts. And that means doing, achieving results, actively planning and producing the world oneself, refusing to wait for anything upon which one would thereby become dependent, relying rather solely on one's own abilities. It is, I believe, no coincidence, given our Western masculine mentality, that we have increasingly separated Christ from his mother, without grasping that Mary's motherhood might have some significance for theology and faith. This attitude characterizes our whole approach to the church. So you see that connection there, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want to know what the church is, you have to know who Mary is. We treat the church almost like some technological device that we plan and make with enormous cleverness and expenditure out of energy. Then we are surprised when we experience the truth of what uh, St. Louis-Marie Grignon de Montfort, true devotion to Mary, Mm. once remarked rephrasing the words of the prophet Haggai when he said, you do much, but nothing comes of it. When making becomes autonomous, we cannot make but that we cannot make that, or sorry, let me rephrase this. When making becomes autonomous, the things we cannot make, but that are alive and need time to mature can no longer survive. What we need then is to abandon this one-sided Western activistic outlook, lest we degrade the church to a product of our creation and design. The church is not a manufactured item. She is rather the living seed of God that must be allowed to grow and ripen. This is why the church needs the Marian mystery. This is why the church herself is a Marian mystery. Like that's a very, Oh, that's a great phrase. Mm -hmm. There can be fruitfulness in the church only when she has this character, when she becomes holy soil for the word, we must retrieve the symbol of the fruitful soul. We must once more become waiting inwardly recollected people who in the depth of prayer longing and faith give the word room to grow yeah oh and that's from mary the church at the source by ratzinger if you're looking for that okay so i think in there um this little um dichotomy sets up um Mm -hmm. uh, the overly the, the purely masculine emphasis on the church which is the church is something that we plan that we construct that we do um mm-hmm. that we activate it's mm-hmm. a mechanism uh it has parts we can tinker mm-hmm. around with those parts mm-hmm. that overly masculine emphasis of the church that understanding is in my opinion 
why we've had the abuse crisis. Yep. Because you see, and this is, I mean, everyone's been saying this without saying it, which is why when I came across this sentence when I was reading the same book, I was like, oh, is it? This is it? This is it? Because yeah. everyone's saying they're frustrated. Like the, okay, the whole idea of cover-up. Yeah. Um, a priest does uh, an unspeakable evil. Well, let's move him to a different place. Um, how do I keep my diocese in a good light? How do I do my best to organize this um, situation so that um, people don't sue us mm. or um, so that how will we look like to the world? Okay, let's do this and that and the other thing. And mm-hmm. it's that precisely treating this as a as a human institution purely as a mechanism that gives rise to these kinds of cover-ups and, and, and poor decisions uh, by bishops mm-hmm. or even that kind of idea that the church is something that I need to do or I need to fix, bring that down to the parish level. And you have priests who become mere functionaries, priests who holiness is not the primary uh, avenue um, through which your vocation functions. It's, yeah. I can do this, I can raise money for a church, I can build a church, I can have good programs, but he's never listening to the word, letting exactly. it grow within him, and so there's no spiritual fruit. Um, and that's why you see, I think, a lot of times, uh, parishes rise and fall depending on who is the priest, because you have too many priests who are running parishes off their own charisma or off mm-hmm. their own human skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a, a parish will rise and fall depending on the skills of right. that priest. Right. So I think all of this is has led to the huge mess we are in. Yep. I think it's a very difficult thing to switch and transition, because what happens when that structure fails, when that mechanic is, me, uh, mechanism fails, we try to fix it. We're doing the same thing. We're trying to like, oh, how can we arrange things? What program can we use? Um, uh, let's let's maybe stop giving money to the church. Let's do this action or this thing instead of going back to the Marian dimension of the church, mm-hmm. listening to the word of God, growing in holiness, letting Christ guide the church, and then letting fruitfulness spring from that. Yeah, exactly. And and then this is what I mean. This is very Benedict. This is very Ratzinger in mm-hmm. his way of doing things. This is always his solution, right? In a way, like not a retreat, but like. We have to rediscover prayer and liturgy. Like it's very Benedictine. It's a very yeah. Benedictine worldview that he has. I'm becoming more and more convinced he's right. I'm yeah. getting. I'm actually doing less and less programming mm-hmm. in my parish. Yeah, and I'm trying to encourage more and more adoration and prayer and fasting. Because how are we going to grow? And it's like it's also about trusting God. God's actually the initiator. If we are the yes. church, we are the receiver. God's the one who plants the seed. So we have to be that receptive soil that accepts the seed when it comes our way into the life of the church. It doesn't. I mean, it's not to say that we don't go out and evangelize. And there, there is like, and this is where like that complementary between the masculine and feminine is at play in the church. But the church, in her nature, is Marian. Mm-hmm. Like he says that the church is a Marian mystery, not is like Mary. Right is a Mary. You want to know what the church is. <laughs> you need to know Mary. And this is very. So I gave this talk to the missionaries of charity, right? Yeah. And, and 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 I'm gonna get more into it here. But this is why. Uh, this is why I think a good religious order of, of sisters will always have a deep Marian. Like I, priests will have a Marian devotion for for a certain reason. Laity will have a Marian devotion for a certain reason. Sure, but. And I think this is why, like, a lot... I don't know. This is my speculation here. Yeah, okay? speculate. Why a lot of religious orders of women went off the deep end in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. 
they because of this loss of connection because of we we promoted a kind of almost a too masculine view of the church yeah we lost the dignity of the woman and the, mm-hmm. of the feminine and so they only saw value in the masculine well where do i find that well it's being a priest because that's what the guys do so they, they they kind of rejected everything and they threw mary out the window with it without seeing that actually the mary is actually the principle of their dignity mm-hmm. and the principle of their life and that a religion like i always, i said this to the sisters actually it's uh my header on they they drew this on a chalkboard for me uh, <laughs> uh it's, a, it's the header on my twitter profile uh i said they're concrete marys yeah right you make visible the Mary. You make you remind the church what we're called to be. We need you to be authentic in your religious charism because you really make visible the Marian character for us, so that we can constantly be reminded this is what we need to be as a church. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. like the the church fell into the same trap that the world falls into with regards to masculinity and femininity. You mm. have a corruption of the masculine, which. Um, abuses power, does not use power to serve or to mm-hmm. lead, um, but abuses power and then makes power the source of dignity. So if you're going to be a, a worthy person, a worthwhile person, a person with dignity, you must have equal power. That's what the world right. says. Yeah. And then if you see the church in those terms, you see like, okay, who has the most power? The priests. If you're not a priest, that means you don't have as much power. That means you don't have as much dignity. So I think that is what is actually behind the push um, for uh, female priests. Right, yeah. Because um, it's very rarely in terms of, I think that's that's the impetus behind it. But that's mm-hmm. taking the worst, uh, like a corrupted fallen masculinity and saying, in order we, to be equal, uh, we need that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the whole wrong approach. So needs to, there's a lot of wounded uh, masculinity in our culture, in our church. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also a just an abandonment of, um, the redeemed femininity in our church as well. And it's because we we forgot Mary as the archetype of the church. Yeah. So, okay. So what the, what does Ratzinger say about this? So he says, he says that the church is a mystery of bridal and maternal mystery. The church is the new Eve, right? Um, the church is the new Israel. Both of, both had these, both of these are qualities uh, that have a deep connection with Mary, right? Uh, and it's the church must always be seen as mother and bride first. We always use the personal pronoun she towards the church. The church is the place where we receive Christ's offering of himself to the bridegroom, from the bridegroom to the bride. But that creates a problem, right? Well, how do we say yes to that? We're, we're sinners, right? And this is where Mary's yes comes into this, but the, mm. uh, right? Because uh, her yes is perfect. She right. makes up what we can't say yes perfectly to. If we don't have someone who can say yes perfectly to Jesus' salvation and receive it on that human side, purely human side, like just just human, um, Jesus is fully human, but he's not. He's he's a hypostatic union of God and man. Right, yeah, because right? you see in the Old Testament all these incomplete or fallen yeses. Like exactly. Even David, like King David, like had a lot of good yeses, but also had a fall. In Mary, you have Israel offering a perfect yes, and that brings about the union between God and man in Jesus Christ. Exactly. So she says yes for us perfectly. So she is the perfect response. This is why you need Mary, but it's in connection with the church. And this is where that when you separate her from the church, this is why I think some Protestants struggle with her because they don't see the ecclesial connection with it all. 
Oh, right. right? Yeah. Well, Cause Cause, and, and that's our fault. That's our fault. Mm-hmm. That's our fault, not theirs. That's our fault as a church for losing that connection. Mm. So let's, re- let's regain this, right? Yeah. She says yes perfectly to Christ with his grace, obviously. And with her yes, that's the yes of the whole church now. And, and our yes is only perfected and lifted up in her yes. Now, Ratzinger will go on to say that the church is, bod- is the body of Christ only insofar as it includes the mystery of Mary. The more you remove Mary, the less it becomes the body of Christ. And so what is this mystery of Mary? He says that she is a listening handmaid. She speaks first in grace and perfection. She becomes bride and body. Her perfect yes, like I said, lifts up our imperfect yes. And this is this is a really cool thing he says. He says, Mary's femininity guarantees a place for affectivity in faith, which is proper to a full human response to Christ. Isn't that cool? Say that again. Okay. Mary's femininity guarantees a place for affectivity in faith. Like the emotional response of faith. Mm-hmm. Which is proper to a full human. Because that's the thing. The response of faith is fully human. Mm-hmm. It's not just of intellect and not just of will. It's the whole self. Uh, and if it's okay, the whole yeah. self, that includes my emotions, which means there will be joys. Yeah, there yeah, will yeah. be happiness at times in it. Yes, there will be sadness and sorrow too. But that's all part of the affectivity, which is a particularly feminine thing. And 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 we kind of downplay this. Well, it's, all, it's not about the feelings. It's not about the feelings. Actually, part of it is. Mm-hmm. And, and Ratzinger is saying because of Mary, she puts into the realm of faith a proper place for that. And I think that's really a beautiful thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but part of me thinks that this actually works really well with um, true devotion to Mary. Okay. Because I, I, do, think, I do think you need to uh, read true devotion. There needs to be more written on St. Louis de Montfort's work on true devotion yeah. to understand him through the lens of the French school of spirituality yep. to understand the, the, the way he writes. You almost need a translator because not everything is going to translate perfectly to our modern minds. And right. I think from that you get excesses, but right. um, before I jump into that, uh, Father Harrison, yeah. cause I think this is a part of it. Um, you're, you're all the things you're saying are making my, my brain go crazy. <laughs> Mary Mediatrix, of all graces, yes or yeah. no? Yes, for this reason. That's what I'm thinking too. Um, for this one reason, actually. Who does she give birth to? To Jesus. Who does she mediate to the world? Yeah, Jesus. And, and what he is has Jesus? All graces, <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> everything, everything. So I think, I mean, that's not something that's ever been fully def- officially defined by the church, right. but it's, it's grown in the tradition. Um, yeah. But it's one of the things that uh, Louis de Montfort says is that Christ still wishes to be fruitful through Mary. Right. That as she she bore Christ to the world, she it is Christ's desire that she continues to do that. Because one of the things that Jesus does, one of the things that God does, is He loves using his creation to bring about his will. That's why the saints are so great and why God gives us the saints. That's why he gives us the church. He wants to continue to do the same thing. So um, the church must be Marian because it is Mary who who continues to bear Christ through the church. Yeah, and and actually that's a great segue to what he says next about Mary. 
or at least what I have next to my notes. Well, there you go. So there you go. Uh, Mary is not just the yes of the church. She's the yes of all creation. Yeah. She's the, she is the height and perfection of creation mm-hmm. outside of Christ. Uh, but yeah, she's like on that purely human level. She is the yes of all creation. And so by virtue of that, Jesus's redemption now becomes for all as well, not just for all humanity, but for all of creation. She's saying yes on, and that's what was supposed to happen in the garden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Adam and Eve were supposed to till, rule over, and then offer it back up to God, but then they failed. So Mary and Jesus are doing that and doing that in a much higher and greater way than Adam and Eve ever could. So there's that typology at play here. And this is where it gets really cool. He then goes on to say that Mary is Israel in person. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a very, there's a deep person. Oh man, I, I get really, fun. this is awesome stuff. This is so good. It's going to be a bit longer podcast, folks. Sorry. Hey, why not? All right. I got to get through all these notes, man. We got to yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah. Um, so Mary is Israel in person. What do I mean by this? Uh, he's saying that, again, just as she's the yes of all creation, she's the yes of the church. She is the height and perfection of Israel. Everything that Israel kind of fumbled along the way finds its perfection in her. Um, it, she is, so she's the completion of the old Testaments. Yes. And she's the beginning of the new Testaments. Yes. She Mm. kind of synthesizes both Testaments in herself and is the yes of both to Jesus so that Christ's offering becomes now for all creation. And that is a very, and, and that's, um, and so he actually, and then he goes on to say this, this is even really cooler. And I've kind of been hinting at this already. Mm -hmm. Mary is the church in concrete form. What, what do I mean by that? Is this rhetorical? Uh, no, I'm asking you. So Mary is the church, church in concrete, in concrete form. form. Yeah, what, what do you think I mean by that at least? Okay, um, she receives the Holy Spirit um, mm-hmm. saying yes. Um, mm-hmm. She then gives birth to Christ. Yep. Um, and it's through her that we are able to receive Christ. So like the church is like through, you know, through a church that we're able to receive Christ through the sacraments. We mm-hmm. can only receive like the closest you can get to God is through um, the Eucharist and the other sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like concretely doing that. Is that what you're getting at? What are you getting well, at? I'm getting at like, if you, I guess what I, what I'm trying to kind of get at, you're, you're, you're right. I'm not, not I guess, but what I'm trying to, <laughs> well, there's, of course to, I'm right. But what are you trying to talk right. about? <laughs> <laughs> is, is that, you want to know what the church looks like? You look at Mary. Oh, just as like, how should the church act? Look how Mary acts. How should the that, church pray? Look how Mary prays. Because she is the church doing those things mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so the more we allow ourselves to be like her, the more we allow her to even work herself in our lives, the more we are becoming truly the church as Christ intends it to be. Mm-hmm. And so we see if you want, so it's about looking to Mary, not just in a, and it's not just in a, um, in a imitative way. There's a real participation there, right? I've talked about this before. I've talked, I, may, I don't know if I've talked about it here, but I, I often talk about this. And, and well, let me finish this point here with this, because then he goes on to say that her yes, not just makes her like a spiritual mother of the church and of Jesus. Her yes also makes her the bodily mother of Jesus, Right. Mm. It's not just a spiritual event that happens. She literally gives the Son of God his flesh. Yeah. He takes his flesh from her. And what is the church? The body of Christ. And therefore, there's even a physical relationship between Mary and us. 
what that means, I have still not penetrated. I think it's like, it's one of the, no, and I mean, just let me phrase that. Like what sure. I mean by that is that, that that's a true phrase, but it's such a deep mystery. I almost feel like I can't come to words to explain what it is you, yet, but I know you, it's true. Do you want to say, phys- I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah, bodily, bodily, bodily. Bodily. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. I think, I think the way you get at what you're saying um, is if we have an understanding of the ontological change that happens in baptism, that because mm-hmm. of baptism, who we are mm-hmm. as a person, we become children of God. Mm-hmm. So we are related to God the Father by grace, what Jesus Christ is by his nature. Right? Did I say that right? Is that the right formula? Yeah, but what are we attached to through baptism? What are we grafted onto? We're grafted onto the church. That's what I'm trying to get exactly. at. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're grafted onto the church because that's we're part of now of that body. Right. Jesus Christ, you know, his humanity literally comes from Mary. Yeah. So I think that's a connection that you're. you're yeah, exactly. Drawing. There's, that's a, there's how it works. A, but that's the thing. There is a real, even bodily, material relationship mm-hmm. with Mary. There's I a think, connection. Like it's like yeah. it's like the connection between a mother and a child. There mm-hmm. is a there is a there is like an intuitive connection there that a child and a mother always just have. That's even physical. And and that Mary actually wants to offer that to us, which is mm-hmm. like it's mind blowing, actually. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it finally makes I mean it makes sense. Like Mary is really our mother. Yes. And this and you have even if you don't have the theology laid out like this in the yeah. early church, or you don't have the theology perfectly laid out, even at Ephesus, people had an instinct for this. Um early Christians had an instinct for this. I think Another thing that we're, we're talking about and everything we're talking about that I think needs to be just brought out and emphasized, people really do not know what the church is. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the scandal has made us think that the church is just these corrupt bishops and priests. That I, and I hear this, you know, um, I'm going to call out the uh, Catching Foxes guys. Um, in their frustration, which is an understandable frustration, they've been joking about, you know, is the Catholic Church... The summer organ- of scandal. Right, right. <laughs> is the Catholic Church a criminal organization? And I understand, like, the, the anger and frustration that that question comes about. But we need to regain right. an understanding of what the church really is. Um, and again, it, it, betrays yeah. a, it betrays an identification between the church and the hierarchy. Yes, exactly. Right? And that's um, the thing. It's no, is the hierarchy a criminal organization? That's a, di- <laughs> that's a different, no, but I'm serious. That's a different <laughs> no, no, question. That's yeah, a yeah, very yeah. different question than saying, is the church a criminal organization, right? Right. And also, there's a okay. real distinction there that we have to start, like, we got to start ingraining this in the depths of our soul to really mm-hmm. kind of, because it's so freeing. <laughs> it is. It is. So now, freeing. I also don't want to go so much and say that you can't remove the hierarchy from Absolutely. the church completely. No, it's an essential either. nature. It's an essential part of the church, right? Mm-hmm. I just said that at the beginning, right? Good, yeah. But, um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. So um, so there's that bodily relationship with her. And this is the thing, though, too. So if she's really, truly mother to us. She's really the concrete form of the church. This is. I'll give you an example of where this kind of plays itself out concretely in, in the spiritual life. Is uh, It's how I pray the rosary. Okay. Now. After I, this is coming from reading Ratzinger and Balthazar on these questions, um, and it's really helped me see that when I'm praying the rosary, I'm not just praying the rosary, just meditating on the mystery myself. Mm-hmm. I'm asking Mary. This is why we ask her to intercede. Help me to see this with your vision. You're all virginal. I'm not. You're mm-hmm. sinless. I'm not. You have a mm-hmm. perfect yes and no reservation to God. I don't. Give me, because this is the thing. She holds, 
she pondered these mysteries in her heart. Yeah. Her heart literally, really and truly contains the mysteries of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And she saw them perfectly. There's an objectivity to Mary's vision of the life and meaning of Jesus, which means that when we're praying the rosary, we're saying, let me see that mystery through your eyes, mm-hmm. not through my sinful fallen eyes, right? It, it gets like, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. And let me just, just because there might be some people who are freaking out about yeah. this whole Mary thing that we're talking about. All of this, she was chosen and can do all of this because of a singular grace, right. one for her by Jesus Christ. And that's the you doctrine know. of the Immaculate Conception, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's important to realize that. Like, in all the things we're saying about Mary, you see, like, the love and care and planning of the Trinity and the fittingness of how it all fits together. Yeah. Uh, and this has been, this, like, this like, links to the stuff we talk about when we talk about, um, oh my goodness, uh, come on, brain, don't fail me. Um, about like this needs to be a part or maybe this is a question does this or uh, this needs to be a part of our evangelization yeah doesn't it yep like without this this is you know the difference between protestant and catholic it's more than just missing a few dogmas yeah it's more than just missing a few things like oh catholic church uh just has um, has all that stuff the Protestant church has and a few extra things. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. This is inherent of what it means to be Christian. Yeah. And this is this is what I'm trying to get to, right? These are not just tack-ons that the church created. It's integral to the very Christian life. This is part about rediscovering that sacramental vision. Yep. Right? Everything we do has a reason. It's all integrated and it gives life. And we need to rediscover it, re-embrace it, and just like live it to its nth degree. And like and so like when we're talking about Mary with all of this, this is why the church has her dogmas around Mary. Not just for herself. The Immaculate Conception show promises us that there's indefectibility in the church, like that there is um a sinlessness to the church mm-hmm. despite the sinfulness of her members. Yeah. See now right? that makes sense. Yeah. Right? It makes sense. We have a guarantee. We have Mary. Yeah, we are all screw-ups. <laughs> you and I are screw-ups. But thank God for Mary because she protects the indefectibility of the church so that she doesn't fall to complete corruption. And this is mm-hmm. why the gates... Guess why the gates of hell cannot prevail? Because they can't prevail against Mary. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's beautiful. It's freaking it really amazing. Is, it's yeah. awesome. The assumption is assures us that a human to, to response to Christ is possible. Yeah. And it shows us the promise of what is to come, that not just Mary, the whole of creation with her is with Christ in heaven. Yep. With heaven and earth come back together. So then we see in all this then that Mary doesn't just exist for herself, but is seen within the whole relationship between Christ and the church. She expropriates herself. Like that's the thing. She's totally charitable. Mm-hmm. She expropriates. So that's why she, the, her heart's pierced so that her heart, so that we can kind of go into her heart now to have the mysteries that she does not want to hold for her herself. And but she wants what, to share with yeah, all yeah. of us. And this is what St. Louis talks about when entering like the, the mystical yeah. garden as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in true devotion. Yeah. Um, but um, oh, I was gonna stop something. I was gonna stop what you were saying for a reason to clarify something or to emphasize something. Yeah, but I forget what it was. So never mind. 
Right. Okay. So we see then in Mary that we do not lose also our character, like who we are in a yes to God, but we actually gain ourselves. Right. It's the same thing we learn in Christology, but it's the same thing with Mary. I don't lose who I am when I say yes to God. Mm -hmm. Look at her. You see someone who is fully perfected. She didn't lose anything, but gained everything. Mm-hmm. And that, and and Ratzinger actually say that it's actually her poverty, her complete disponibility, as we say in French, her disponibility, uh, her complete receptivity. That's a poverty of soul, right? This is a being poor in spirit, but that's actually the guarantee of truth and freedom. Right. She also. She also. Oh, go ahead. Okay, so her being utterly poor is what allows us to hold, what allows her, her perfect poverty is what allows her to hold Christ perfectly. Exactly, exactly. She also shows us the gift of the body as well. Mm-hmm. Again, her yes is yeah. Yeah. for all creation. This means accepting the body as a gift. Yeah. This is this is kind of integrating with what we've been talking about with theology of the human person, right? Yeah. The body is a gift, and so to be human is to be embodied. And so that actually means she's actually the guarantee against all these gender ideologies. Yeah. Because she says, no, no, no. Okay, yes, you're going through a struggle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's because it's like she's saying we've lost what she points to. And I think what these, these different uh, issues that we're facing nowadays, it's a sign that we've lost the basic premise that to be human is to, as I've used the phrase before, to be gifted into existence. Yeah. Everything I have has been received. It's not something I create for myself. And so she actually helps us to see that to be human is to accept myself and all of humanity as a gift. So to, to summarize, and then you can throw in whatever else you might have to say. Right. There's three There's three things that I think... Um, that I think that to marry it, we need to kind of take heart with this. It's there's personalizing, right? The church is not just a structure, but it's actually in a way a person. Yeah. It's Mary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's incarnational, right? We talked about the giftedness of the body, that the body material things are good. And we talked about the affectivity in, in, in our life of faith, right? Yes. That even the emotions are a part of your faith and you need to have that. Yeah. And finally, oh yeah, well, yeah. And then finally that heart effectivity, which allows faith to fix itself solidly within man's being, right? Like it's the emotions that really eternalize things. Yeah. Right. I think it's important. Like, you know, I, I, I'm thinking a lot in, in youth minister mind because, uh, you know, uh, Patrick and I are, and mostly Patrick, but me helping him out uh, right. are trying to build a youth group. And one of the things you think about is like when you first introduce the youths to adoration, yeah. Um, not to tell them like you might not feel a lot of things right now, and we have such an emphasis because our cultural, it, our culture has such an emphasis on the emotion that right. we sometimes swing the pendulum too far the other way. Um, and it's important to remember that while it's okay not to feel something in prayer, it's not okay to never feel something in prayer. Right. Like well, just I- like it's not okay to never feel love for your spouse. And I would I would add to that. I think we, we 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 also we we confuse feelings with emotion. They're not the same thing. Quick quick differentiation. I would say two. I would say feeling is a more fleeting thing, and emotion 
properly human emotion mm-hmm. is integral as an integral part of our response to things you know mm. when someone when someone dies i feel sad sure but the sad but the emotion of sadness is is deep because i grieve the loss of someone etc right okay so but the thing is we're, we're taught no you got to feel something you got to get uh. you got to get a feeling out of it you got to get a feeling out of this no no the the actually affectivity is something deeper in the heart. It's the emotion actually goes deeper. It's not just purely. And I think that's where we we, we get this idea. Well, don't don't worry about the feelings. It's like no no actually go deeper into them right. Yeah. And so he ends this with this that the our piety as a church must go Mary's way, which is the passion, which is the way of the passion. It's the way of having a heart that is pierced. But recognizing that when we go this way, we will lose nothing. We will gain everything. And that we don't go it alone. We have a mother who is physically and spiritually close to us. Yeah. And who opens her pierced heart for us so that we can know the mystery and love of Christ and come to know the redemption he offers us. Boom. Just one final note because it's yep. making me think of um, evangelization. Because <laughs> yep. uh, I've been listening to an excellent podcast. I, I rarely plug podcasts, but a very important one I think is Every Knee Shall Bow. Mm-hmm. Um, Gomer is in it and uh, a great guy from Pittsburgh, uh, Dave Van Vickle, where they just yeah. kind of do a half hour of, of like really concrete ways to evangelize. I think cool. it's really good. But anyway, cool. um, thinking about uh, the best way to evangelize someone is to bring them up in the Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the idea that's and the, the ideal place. of the church. Exactly. Because, because of everything we're saying, this is a family. This is a world. This is a universe. This is a spirituality. These are things that it is better and more natural to grow up in them. Mm-hmm. It is a more difficult thing to be drawn into them. But you can be. Of course you can be drawn into them. Yeah. But the thing is, I think the best way to do this is to bring someone along and say, look, come and see. Mm-hmm. Look at what's going on here. But I think the problem in our churches, and this, this is in our liturgies and in our parish communities, it's everything. We don't have anything to bring them to see right now. Right. Not not everywhere, but in a lot of places. Like this worldview, uh, even we have lost a lot of it, or we only have pieces of it, and we need to regain it so that we have this to show other people. Because um, I think it's the only way you enter into a worldview is to, you have to see people who are living it naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way you kind of, you most exactly. naturally learn a language is you hear people speaking it. And right now we're not speaking this language. So it's but, hard to teach other people it. And this is something that's really big for Ratzinger, right? This is why he's talking about the concreteness of Mary, right? Mm-hmm. That's why everything, it's about concreteness that the mother and the father and the family live a concreteness of the faith that the children see. Like we got to rediscover the sacramental nature of being human, right? Like we just, this is yeah. what sacramentality, 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 <laughs> right? It, it's, it's, we got to like just burn it into our brains with all of this because the mother will show the properly um, Marian part of the church to their child. And the yeah. father will show the Christ-like or the God, the father-like element in our relationship of faith. Yeah. And they're not, it's not about a power struggle. It's actually, they complement each other. That God shows us like, yes. we need, this is the thing. God's, what God's saying is we need both yes. to be saved. We're right? emphasizing you, the Marian right now because it's very yeah. important and essential to the church, but we're not saying there's no masculine. I mean, this is the exactly. feast day of St. Joseph after all. Yeah. Uh, it's incredibly important. And we can talk about that more later yes, as well. But guess right. who has no words in scripture? <laughs> he yeah, was Joseph. very Marian. Mm-hmm. 
He was incredibly Marian. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because someone brought this up on Twitter. The one thing that Scripture says that he said, now obviously did he speak in real life? Yeah. Right. Um, but Scripture says the one thing that he does say is he names his son Jesus. Right. So what's the one thing that Joseph does say right. in it's Scripture, Jesus. you could argue? Jesus. Yeah. And this, but we need to go the way of Mary. We need to rediscover this kind of, kind of contemplative receptive and to say you see this is the thing and this is why we struggle with this is because we say no no, no receptivity is bad right yeah. this is where this is where i would i would argue that hardcore feminism has done us a disservice of yes. seeing this as a good thing we're saying no actually the church says this is the best thing yeah this is the best quality because it's it's an essential quality of the church mm-hmm and we, as a church, in our concreteness, need to rediscover it and live it and show the confidence that comes out of it so that people will then be drawn to that and say, wait, you're giving, you're making up for something that I've noticed that's been lacking. They won't even be able to know what it is all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is all Marian. Yep. This is all Marian. So if you want to read up more on this, I highly recommend, maybe a good introduction with all this is uh, Mary at the Church at the Source. It's by Joseph Ratzinger and Hans Urs von Balthasar. Two of my favorites. Uh, great book. Amazing book that really kind of digs deep at this topic. Right. Cool. Now, um, Tommy wanted to rediscover his Marian self, so he's gone to be more receptive to God in prayer. Mm-hmm. So he can't be with us today, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Tommy. We'll have you next time. <laughs> uh, please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. Thanks for listening. So I'm. you can find me at Fr Harrison. You can find me at Father Sharapa. And you can contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. God bless. Peace. Woo. Super Merry Super Show. I love it.